I can only take uh have you been to Vegas, Tim? I have. I have pretty yeah. yeah. It's only uh I can only take two days of that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 crazy. You yeah, you want, you gotta go all in and most people can't go all in for more than forty eight hours. Yeah, I, I just uh it's just it, it, it just it freaks me out after a couple of days. <laughs> Ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. So good. So we've got quite a lot of the. So you like the questions that we that we prepared? What I say, we meaning Tim. Tim prepared them. Yeah. Yeah. Maria just comes in at the last minute for hair and makeup, and then uh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. So, so Dave, what the, what I'll do? Um, I'll do a very brief introduction. Say welcome. Introduce you. Generally, we kick off with a very quick question, quick being the octave word, where we just say, tell us a bit about yourself, your kind of background, the career story so far. Okay. You know, the one minute version rather than the 45 minute job interview version is. Yeah, you'll have to cut me off because as Maria knows, I, uh, I get passionate about some of this stuff and I just keep talking. Yeah, that's that. Well, and then really we want to dive into like the, the people and versus technology yeah. kind of debate. And yeah. that's where those questions are leading us because I think You've got a nice perspective, obviously, having worked in academic organizations and industry. You can kind of see see what the pipeline of talent is, and then you can also see whether it's meeting requirements in situ in industry as well. Yeah, yeah. good. The, the questions are great. They're a guideline, a good guideline for us, but also there's going to be a lot of flow, you know, looking at what, what uh, uh, questions will come up from the conversations that we have. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, this podcast is going to our audience of supply chain manufacturing directors uh, across Europe, the United States, the UK. So practical advice is also very good. You know, what kind of things can companies do today? You know, so I'll ask you a lot about stuff like that and your, your view about that, you know? Okay, good. Good. Can I just check, Dave? Um, I, I went via LinkedIn, but correct me if I'm wrong. Is your current title Director of Outreach and Partnerships at MBA? Yes. Uh, Director of Outreach and Partnerships for the Center for Supply Chain Innovation at Texas Christian University. Now, that's a mouthful. That is yeah, mouthful. I will stumble over that at some point, but we'll, we'll try and get Dave out. <laughs> Center for Supply Chain Innovation. So how have you been, Dave? Good, good. I've been, um, it's been, it's been, uh, my son got married on the 13th. Oh, wow. Congratulations. So, and, and, um, it, it uh, and we've had rain here. I've never seen in the 20 five years I've lived here. Um, I said, uh, you know, you guys would feel at home because we've had, but the rain has been, we, we've had just rain, rain. Well, the venue we had it, I was a very small wedding, but the venue, there was only four ways of getting in there and three of them were shut down due to flooding. Oh, wow. <laughs> then we had, uh, and most of the people coming were all Canadians. Really? So 35 of the 50 were Canadians. So it, it um, my relatives and that. Oh, so. Okay. Right. and friends and so it was um you know um, mobile devices are really nice because i was able to send all the mass texts and say take this route yeah, and, yeah. but it were, it was beautiful and then they went to iceland for their honeymoon oh, that's, cool. that's really so, nice. yeah, yeah yeah they really enjoyed it so other than that just um uh loving loving this uh, the this this kind of stuff and not being the the grind that the industry brings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, I will, I'll kick off by introducing us uh, and you. Um, I'll ask that first question around career and then we'll jump into these questions. 
bear in mind, Maria, I haven't divvied these up like we normally do. So she'll try and talk over me and we capture on camera. Maria apologizes. No, no, no. I've only ever happened before. No, no. So yeah, we're good. Okay. One slurp of coffee and off we go. Hi, welcome to this week's show. Uh, our guest today is Dave Malinfant, who's Director of Outreach and Partnerships at the Center for Supply Chain Innovation at Texas Christian University. Dave, welcome. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks, Maria. And it, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, thank, thanks for giving me the opportunity. You're, you're very welcome. So we've got some interesting topics to get into uh, in detail and some of your kind of personal uh, passions and interests. Before we get uh, down to those, maybe you could tell us a bit about your career story so far. Yeah, so so the um, I started, <laughs> I've been in, uh, in in industry for about 40 years, and most of my entire career was in operations and supply chain. I would say almost all of it has been in supply chain and all the aspects of supply chain. I decided to retire in 2014 and got the excellent opportunity to come here at TCU and help them um, build the talent of the future in the Center for Supply Chain Innovation. Um, and then maybe later on in our discussion, I'll talk about, you know, well, how did I get involved with TCU? Because I never went to TCU. Of course, you know, I, uh, I was born and raised in Canada and moved to the United States in 93, but uh, and enjoyed an excellent career. But uh, here I am uh, with the ability to give back. Fantastic. And I think where, where we're interested in, in taking this conversation today, it, I guess, is an area that combines your, your history and your interests and your background, which is namely around what's happening in industry, around technology and digital transformation, things like that. And then also, obviously, with your perspective now from the academia organization side, what's the supply of talent uh, yeah. coming into the industry? Is industry geared up for the, with the skills and the structures and this kind of stuff? So I think... Um, that kind of sweet spot between industry and talent and academia is yeah. a nice one to explore. We, we've, we've done quite a lot of, um, you know, and you'll see through some of our podcasts that we do quite a lot with regards to technology. A lot, we talk a lot about tech, but I think that there's a very big missing part here, which is the skills needed to implement technology within an organization. Uh, and I think that's what we'd like to talk to you about as well. Yeah, and, and, and I, I want to, you know, I, I'm a little bit disturbed about how much people are talking about technology from a digital supply chain. Yeah. And it seems that all we're talking about is blockchain, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and, and drones. And we're talking about the technology, and, and it concerns me because technology should be an enabler in, in, in a business and not the primary focus. Yeah. And, and I think what's happening right now in business is that they are so focused on the technology that they're forgetting about the people and, and, and guess what's happening? Their processes are breaking. And, and, and so, so I have to pull back and say, it's all about the people processes, then the technology. Yeah. The people and having the right people in the right place with the right skill sets to build those processes to enable digital tech, the digitization of the supply chain. Then we can talk about technology. And unfortunately, and I've seen this across the board, it's backwards. And, and, and we've got to start fixing that, if, the, if you know what I mean. Com completely, completely. I think, I think everything that you read about nowadays, if you Google supply chain or you know, manufacturing, uh, you'll see tons of articles about disruptive technology. You'll see tons of things about uh, different types of tech, about robotics, with uh, AI, cognitive, which is great. 
which is fantastic. And it really is an exciting time, isn't it, for the industry? Yeah. But where does that leave the people? You know, is this something that's going to, you know, we talk a lot about, we, we had sessions about whether or not tech is going to replace people. That's not necessarily something that's going to happen in, in, in the immediate future anyway. So how do people prepare or how do businesses prepare for, for technology? Yeah, I, I, do, I do not believe in the, in the digital transformation supply chain that, that uh, people will be eliminated. I, I mean, that, that's just a fallacy. But I do think that the skill sets are going to change. You know, let, let's take a warehouse operation where we have a lot of pickers. You know, yes, that's going to change. That will probably won't need those pickers. But guess what we're going to need? We're going to need analysts and supply chain analysts who are really honed in in the skill of data analytics. And so, so we're seeing this transformation of the skill sets that's going to be required to make the supply chain work. And, and, and so we can live in harmony with the technology. Again, technology is an enabler, not a replacer. And, and so, so if you build your processes properly and, and those repeatable processes that are, 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 are susceptible to high error rates, yes, we need to replace the, the people that do those transactions with technology. But then the people need to understand what are the analytics telling me? And using that to forward the business. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, completely. Absolutely. And I, w- I was wondering about what you did to specific describe the shift from uh, a very kind of conventional logistics skill set and mindset um, in supply chain to, towards this more data-driven approach. I want to break that down a little bit and ask, where do you think the industry is now in terms of having those mm-hmm. skills? what is needed if, if potentially there, there aren't the right skills or in the right number to, to enable some of these technologies yeah. to start to take hold? And then what can we do about it? Um, it's interesting that you, you bring that up because uh, all the surveys that uh, we're doing here, that our research is doing here at the school, and plus the research that I've looked at shows that only about 55% of the companies are really even have a f- strategy for digitization. So, so, so then when you look at that, then, then we're already in supply chain, there is already a talent shortage, yeah. a yeah. big talent shortage. For every, last year it was for every three positions, there was only one person to fill it. A latest, a latest survey has come out that by the end of this year, for every nine open positions, there will only be two people to fill it. So, so and, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because the economy is doing well, obviously. Now, when I, when I, when I talk about supply chain positions, I'm not including warehouse workers. Right. I, I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm, I'm talking about meaningful job planners, buyers, and, uh, purchasing, and, yeah. so those kind of jobs. So, so we already have a talent shortage. So now you bring this whole digital environment, yeah. and now we have a skill set challenge so you've got the talent shortage and the skill set a gap and, and that's where we all have to try to start working together and coming up with strategies of how do we bridge those two how do we do a skills gap assessment within our organization and then have a strategy to to uh, close those gaps it sounds, sounds like you've got, so we've got two issues to address, right? So we've got the existing staffing that people have within their businesses. How do you prepare them for the future? And how do you hire 
what kind of talents do you hire for for the supply yeah. chain of the future? So what does that look like? Yeah. You, you know, unfortunately right now we're seeing a vicious circle because there's a shortage of talent in supply chain. So typically what companies are doing now is they're saying, you know, Tim, you're now going to be the head of supply chain, but you've never worked in supply chain. You're an engineer. I'll give it a go. So, 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 uh, so, and we're seeing this trend within business. Then all of a sudden when things start falling apart, they either blame, blame the technology or they invest in new technology to try and fix a problem that was created by not having the right skill set. So that's what's existing. So now, then what happens when you, when you try to fix it and you go to a CFO or a chief operating officer and say, we've got to fix this, they say, and we need some investment in, 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 in intellectual capital and we need investment probably in technology down the road. They say, no, we've invested enough money in, 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 in technology. You need to work with it. Saying, well, but we have a talent problem. And this is where uh, folks don't understand, is that it starts with the people, and, and, and we're putting the wrong people in the wrong places. Okay. And, and so we've got to pull back a little bit and come up with what I, what I call a, a, a really a good talent, talent development strategy for, for recruiting, yeah. developing, and retaining. The latest statistics I've seen is that millennial and Gen Z, the, the two uh, uh, basically under 35, that, that, that they, if they are not fulfilled in their job within 12 months, some of it six months, they're going to leave. Yeah. So, so we may be able to, re to recruit them, but then we fail. How to keep them failing miserably on retaining them. What we hear increasingly is you need the right story to tell yeah. talented young people. I mean, let's say you're a talented graduate from TCU or MIT, potentially established industry, as you might call it, doesn't hold the same appeal compared to Facebook, Google, all the big players who at the moment are cherry picking the most talented young people. But, but, it's, not, but it's not just that. It's not just that. It's also the fact that I think, uh, they, like you said, uh, Dave, they need to feel fulfilled. So perhaps maybe in our generation, um, it was when you looked for a job right out of college, you knew you needed a good salary, you mm. needed good benefits, you needed a good stable career that might last you a long time. Uh, kids these days aren't looking necessarily for that. That's not the, the boxes that need to be ticked. It's true. It's true. The criteria. No. And here, here's the dilemma that we're faced with: is that, um, in, is that the these students that are graduating going into the industry. Who are their bosses? Their bosses are baby boomers or, or others that, that are still in their own thought process. I, 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 was, I was speaking to a, to a bunch of people, um, folks, and these were finance people, uh, not too long ago, and I talked about this, uh, this whole talent issue in, 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 in millennial behavior. The bottom line is millennials want the same as we want, it's just mm -hmm. differently. And, and, and so one person came up and said, they're all going to change. They're going to be just like us. When they get a mortgage and have kids, I said, that's the attitude that's turning away good talent. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if, if, what we have to embrace is the fact that they want the same goals that we want. They just do it differently. Yeah. Well, the, the and we have to accept that. 
Dave, the world is changing. If you think about it, there are companies now, I mean, millennials these days don't necessarily get saddled with uh, marriage, kids, mortgages. You know, there you, you, you see these people walking around what's called renting in different, there's different ways to rent. What I'm getting at is that the economy has changed in such a way that it offers so many different opportunities that yeah, perhaps we didn't so. have that are beyond the traditional sort of mortgage. But, but here's something that we can do in, that, that I have done in my career and that I, I think other companies should do. I had a, I had a organi organization, part of my organization, 250 people, and the average tenure of those employees was about 25 years. Okay. So, so that's average. Yeah. So, you, so most of them, a lot, there were no one under 10 years, yeah. absolutely none. So, so, so when I told my director, I said, we're changing, we're going to change, change the picture here. I want you, and this is where we partnered with TCU. Yeah. I said, I want you to partner with TCU and we're going to hire graduates and we're going to sprinkle them in the organization and in the pod, and it was a pod of four people. I said, we're going to make sure we have one or two of them that are graduates from the university. And, and, and of course, it, it was almost mutiny at doing that. I mean, we're going to get rid of all of, the, all of our all of our expertise. I said, no, let's try that. So we did that, and we ended up hiring about 35, 40 uh, young people to come in there. And some of them were 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 employees that I already had that that were high potentials, and we sprinkled them in. And you know what the result was? The the senior people with long tenure people learned how to do things that they never knew they could do. When it came time of working on the computer and, 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 and navigating through order entry, navigating through all the different things, the young person was able to come in and show them how to navigate through that. Mm -hmm. And then the young folks that were there, they learned maturity. Yeah. That, that they learned maturity and tolerance. And, 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 and so by meshing those two together, there is a perfect example of, of, of taking a long-term employees, new employees, and working in harmony. And guess what? We had the best results in that, in that group than we've ever, ever had. And it continued that way. And, and a lot of the young people only stayed there. And then, and then I got criticized because they said, you've got a 35% turnover in that group. I said, yeah, it's turnover complete turnover every three years now. Yeah. I said, that's what I want. Yeah. And they said, but that's too high. No, I said, but every single one of those employees are going to another job within the organization to advance their career. Mm -hmm. So, so when you've got, so we've, we've recruited, we, we've embraced the recruitment and we retain them. So, and, and that's why I've got a question for you with regards to supply chain and HR, you know, previously these are, I mean, cause you're just talking about recruiting, retaining, you know, you're talking about how to manage millennials. How close are you seeing the alignment between HR and supply chain compared to say 10 years ago? It's a lot better. <laughs> I, um, it was a battle yeah. because uh, it used to be, well, we handle hiring. I said, no, the business does. You are a partner in this, and, and, and we were able to, to build a pretty good partnership with HR. It worked really well on recruiting. It worked really well in, in, in uh, a pro programs that I rolled out. Where, where it starts falling apart is when 
you start, and I don't want to totally bash HR folks here, but but they want to put formality around things that shouldn't be formal. A mentoring program, for example. Okay. A mentoring program, I encourage, and when I talk to students, when I talk to young professionals, because I, I do young professional workshop, I said you should have a mentor in, in at the place you work at, a mentor outside of the organization that, that you can talk to. Well, it has got to be informal. It, it's got to be an informal, and it's got to be just a dialogue. Well, then all of a sudden, someone decides that they want to have a formal mentoring program. Right. Now, quite frankly, I'm not seeing formal mentoring programs sustain themselves. Why is that? Well, because, because now it's more of a reporting exercise. You have to have a meeting every so often. You have to record the meeting. And I'm saying, no, I'm here, I, I, and I mentor about five or six young people around the world, believe it or not. I've got one in Europe, one in Asia, and, and, and one in Canada, and a few here. And, and, and it's, I'm here when you need me. I'm not, and every once in a while, I'll shoot them an email and say, how are you doing? If I don't hear from them, fine. But, but, but when you have a formal program, they say, well, no, you've got to meet every, every month. You've got to document that meeting. What are the takeaways? When, and when's your next meeting? No. I, I, I'm sorry, but, but I think... I think uh, it becomes too rigid, doesn't it? Yeah, it's too rigid in millennials, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, in, in younger folks, they don't like that. Yeah. They love flexibility. Um, and there's no flexibility. I'm sorry. I was going to say, what's your experience in, in how much of this kind of thing is going on at the moment? Um, sounds like lots of these kind of schemes get kicked off and then fall by the wayside. Do you, do you think <clears throat> the profession generally, and I know that's a, that's a broad term, is good at nurturing and sort of taking younger, talented people under their wings? and bringing them on or do they still see it as an all sort of transactional relationship where it's you have the skills i need we'll pay you and, and they're left i think it's mixed tim i think you know when, when you when you start looking at the digital transformation of supply chain and and i look at the five stages and, and where you're at in those stages and, and and the winners the companies that really are looking uh, are integrated and they're embracing their talent and they've got a good, robust uh, talent management program, and the leaders there, they, they, uh, the results in that in those companies tend to be higher than companies that are not doing that. Right. And, and it's not industry specific either. I think across all industries, you've got those companies that are really, really focusing on, on how am I going to build my intellectual capital, my 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 talent in order to manage this transformation are going to continue to be more successful than the others. Look, you know, you, you can just look at some, some of the retail and you can go back on the way that the retail is embracing new behaviors, you know, and, and the, those who are really embracing it are, are now becoming very successful. Mm -hmm. The others that, that um, have not are, are, obviously left behind. It goes back to, I, I, I tell companies all the time, who's your customer? And they'll say, and I said, your customer is not the baby boomer, even though they've still got a lot of buying power. I mean, your customer is the millennials and others. Yeah. So who is your future employees? 
the fact of the matter is that you still have fifth, you still have a mass exodus of senior leaders in companies, yeah. especially in supply chain. Yeah. We've got senior leaders because they're over they're over fifty years old, and so when they hit fifty five or or sixty, they're they're leaving. Yeah, we've got an and aging then, workforce, don't we? That's that's absolutely, I and even in supply chain, supply yeah. chain is is pretty bad, and, and 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 so we don't have and we don't have that succession of future leaders coming through because we we because we're so far behind, and, and I'll give you an example that that. Uh, it, um, if you if you really think people, uh, and you you're always thinking people, and that's how I engaged with TCU 16 years ago because I, I had a talent problem and I was thinking people. I had a young young person we hired from Staples, uh, which is a, a office supply company here in the United States, and, and he was an analyst. And I'm a firm believer, a leader, a supply chain leader, you have to spend 75 percent of your time on people senior people talking to them. So I would, it used to drive my assistant crazy. I'd be gone for two hours because I'm around talking to people. So I went to this one individual. I just sat down and just chatted with him. So I came back and spoke to his boss. I said, you know, we're, there is a talent that's being wasted. Right. He has got, and he was an analyst, just an analyst sitting there, uh, uh, individual contributor. I said, we've got to put him on a fast track. I'll fast forward for, for the interest of time. So I implemented what I call a rotational assignment program, put him in that program, and he elevated from that analyst to a chief operating officer for a company in a span of 10 years. Wow. And, and, and so now if we just take that, take that model and, and look at where is our high potential talent. But you know what the problem is in supply chain? We're tactical people. That's we're tactical people. We're firefighters. Yeah. So, so we get caught into the day-to-day and putting out the fires, and we forget that we should be managing our people. Yeah. The other problem we've got is that when there's a mess up, that, that we try and find the person, and we got to try and, try and fix it ourselves instead of allowing and engaging your people in, to do that. So, so I, tell, I tell supply chain leaders, back off. Don't be so tactical. You've got to be more strategic. You've got to have trust in your people. They say, well, I don't have the right people. Then get the right people. This is taking us into a really interesting area, which is the role of the supply chain function um, within the organization today, and then also its role in innovation uh, and leading the organization into the future, whether that's driving e-commerce or direct-to-consumer or the way that supply chain integrates with marketing and sales to create you know a new customer experience some of these okay. these are big trends yeah. that are completely aligned with organizational success they're not small elements of a cost center that supply chain maybe was in the past so how do you see the need for the function to reposition itself within organization because okay, uh, i want to back up and um uh I'll ask you, ask you guys a couple of questions. How many, how many different certifications are there for accountants? Oof, probably 25 in the UK alone, I should imagine. Because for accountants? No, I mean, I mean, there's, there's only one or two certifications. Okay, so you're either a CPA or you're oh, either okay. a financial yeah. manager. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah, and for finance, there's only one or two. Yeah. Do you know how many there are in supply chain? Last time I counted, I stopped counting at 30. Yeah. 
Wow. 30 different certifications, and you got the three big ones, of course, from APEX, ISM, and CSEB. So, so now if you're a young person and, and, and you want to pick a, a career, what are you going to pick? No one knows. I mean, I mean, we did a survey of 250 supply chain executives and asked them to define supply chain. You know how many answers we got? We got 200 different variations. Wow. So number first problem is we don't know how to define supply chain. I do. I look at it as an as a, you know a plan source make deliver return sustain in, in, in the data and moving material that goes into that okay. but the, but but a lot of people don't know so if I'm a young person and want to pick a career I know what marketing is I know what finance is it's easy to define and I know accounting is but I don't know what supply chain is well let me ask you Dave I mean when you're growing up and you're in high school and you're going, we've, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Where, you know, if you're in your guidance counselor's office, is supply chain or manufacturing, are those viable options for a career not, for yeah. young people? It's not seen as a profession. It's just seen as a cluster. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up because I was talking to some high school counselors. Okay. And you know what they tell these students? If you go into manufacturing or logistics, yeah. You don't need a degree. Right. And I'm saying, are you crazy? I, 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 said, I said, first of all, there are now excellent schools for, for supply chain degrees. And, 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 and at least the university community is starting to get consensus on the definition of supply chain. So, so the, the great manufacturing, the way manufacturing right now is technology driven you obviously need a degree. So, so we have a problem in, in, in the United States with our high school counselors. We're not educating, educating them enough uh, as to what, it's not logistics, it's supply chain. It's what, the, how I define it. So we, ha we, ha we have a problem. We have a problem in messaging supply chain. Yeah. When I meet with students and I meet with uh, uh, um, freshmen and we have this uh, um, camp where, where all, uh, the, the open house where all of the freshmen and their parents come in and I put up a booth on supply chain. So I asked the parents, I said, are you guys thinking, are you thinking about supply chain major? They said, well, we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I said, well, I said, did you buy anything lately? They said, yes. I said, everything that goes behind that is supply chain, including the data. Plus the fact is that I can guarantee you're going to have a job when you get your degree because we have a shortage. Now, if you get your supply chain degree along with your BIS degree, double major, you're guaranteed 150% of getting a job. You can't say that in the others. So that's interesting that you, because we're talking about hiring people into supply chain. So we have an image problem that, that's got to be dealt with yes. in terms of the image of supply chain as a job in and of itself. Then you've got perhaps maybe hiring issues at the companies themselves where they maybe don't, do they, do you think they realize that they need young people into the new supply chain? That's one question. The next question is, have they defined or is there a way to define what the new role of supply chain looks like? So do you want more data science people? Do you want people with more analytics? Yeah. You know, so, so. Yeah, a couple of, th a couple of things on that is first of all, the companies, there are some companies, progressive companies that really understand they need, younger people in their organization. Yeah. Let, let, let me talk a little bit about the 3PL, uh, third-party logistics. 
and I work, I'm working with about five or six. I've got two of them, two of them right now, that, that hire a lot of our students. Okay. Not only do they hire them, but they put them on rotational. And they understand, and, 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 those, and guess where those two companies are relative to the competition? They're, okay. they're, they're going up. So, so, so there are companies across various industries that are seeing the need to really partner with universities and hire young graduates. Uh, but that's, that itself is not going to solve the problem because there's too many, too many gaps. So now you've got to go to young professionals that have two to five years experience. And this is where, you know, if they don't want to go back to school to get a supply chain degree. This is where the certifications come in handy. But, but going after them and embracing them to bring them into the supply chain organization, understanding that the skill sets that, that, that are now required is, is still going to be those soft skills. I always believe that in supply chain, it's the soft skills can, that, that exceed the technical. I tell folks all the time, I cannot, you know, I can teach the technical. I, I can teach that, but I cannot teach you how to your attitude and in some of the leadership skills. I'll give you an example. I pulled a person out that worked 25 years in research and development that couldn't even spell supply chain and, 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 and moved, her, moved her over and put her as global head of my sales and operational planning process. A remarkable success. Remarkable success. I paid for her to go back at her uh, executive MBA. She spent a lot, her and I spent a lot of time on, on talking about, you know, what does this mean? What does, what's the sales to operational planning process? What's this? And did exceptionally well. And she moved on to, to, to greater things. So from a skill set standpoint, if, if you're looking at future supply chain leaders, it's more on, on communication, relationship building, collaboration, yeah. trust, trust to me is the number one thing, uh, the ability to get things done through others, and a very high learning agility. And what I mean by learning agility is your, your, your political agility, being able to navigate through the, because supply chain people, when something goes wrong, it's always supply chain. Mm. So, so you've got to be able to navigate through that. Results agility, that your, your results are going to exceed what the company wants all the time. Your people agility, understanding cultural sensitivity, understanding that you're gonna have different people from different cultures, you're gonna have different behaviors, you're gonna have some that are gonna be really good, some that aren't gonna be really bad, and how do, you do, how, how, how do you do that? And your change agility, are you able to facilitate change? I tell people all the time, I said in supply chain, you've gotta have the philosophy if it isn't broken, you break it, fix it, and break it again. Okay. Because it's got to be a, a theory and a philosophy of continuous improvement. So if we're going to go down the digitization of your supply chain, what's got to change? Your processes have to change. And if you don't change your processes and you just bring new technology in there, you're going to fail. Well, the, so, the, so, but you're, that's where you get, you get a lot of companies with shelfware that end up spending tons of money on new tech mm -hmm. and they just sit on a shelf somewhere. Uh, and, and or create legacy systems that perhaps don't work because this is what we're talking about. The processes are broken, the people are broken,
but hey, you got the shiny mm. new tech. I spoke to a guy who was working in 3D printing, funny enough, and he would go into organizations and he would see coffee rings on top of the 3D printing units because they'd basically bought an expensive coffee table. They didn't know what to do with it. They bought it because it seemed like a good idea. It wasn't integrated into their strategy. They didn't have any kind of long-term plans. And, and you can see this pitfall opening okay. up for so, lots so, of organizations. So, so here's, here's the challenge, Dave, though. We, we keep talking about hiring millennials and, and, and bringing millennials in, but maybe the, ch the, the problem also lies with management today. I mean, what you've pointed out is a fantastic way to try to get more out of your existing people and have that sort of agility. What, what, what is being done or is anything being done to address existing management structures today? Well, you have to get out of the way. I mean, I mean, uh, they have to get out of the way. I retired in 2014. I got out of the way. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, at some point in time in your career, you become a blocker. Yeah. You're the blocker in being able to, uh, to uh, uh, progress in the organization. But what companies do with supply chain execs like they do with all their executives, they, they, they handcuff them. They make it difficult for them to leave. But you've got to get out of the way. And, 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 and you've got to have, you've got to have the, the, the um, tenacity and the courage. Courage is another thing you've got to have a supply chain leader, of making those tough decisions, saying you are a blocker. Mm -hmm. I'll give you another example. I had a director that, that his organization, it sucked. I mean, it did not. I mean, and I, I put it in his it's review. I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a technical. It I, I said, it's, it's, I said, you have a terrible organization. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the people have been there forever. They're caught in their own ways. We can't, can't seem to get change in there. Oh my goodness. He was so upset. And, and, and I mean, and, and he, he, he's a baby boomer and he's older than I, I am. And, and, and within, Eight months, he flipped his organization. Wow. It became the most progressive, fast-moving organization. Then he said, now it's time for me to get out of the way. Oh, yeah. And now he moved out of the way, and he's, what, 67 years old, and, and moved in and gave, turned the reins over to a 36-year-old. Wow. So how do you make so, everyone make that same leap? That's, that's one of the challenges, right? And not everyone's as self-aware, maybe. Um, I, I think I think there's also an element of you know we 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 talk about how the C level is per, is the one that's driving digital transformation at the moment, right? So the C suite is the one that's really pushing that. But I think probably they're looking for sort of a silver bullet type of solution, aren't they? And that's usually behind tech because mm -hmm. they're not willing to make the spend on fixing the processes, right? Yeah, we spoke. Well, here, here's the error I think. It's, yes, you're right. C suite is driving digital transformation. And, and, and so they hire one of the big consulting companies come in and say, give me a roadmap for digital transformation. And then all of a sense, all of, they don't do a people skill assessment, gap assessment. They don't do a process. I, I'm still seeing this, uh, Tim and Maria, in, in ERP implementations wow. where they, they don't look at their processes and they, they wedge it in. And then, and then you blame the technology for failing. I said, it's not the technology, it's your processes. And because and and but then I go back from the beginning of this. It's people. The people build the processes. Yeah. Guess what happens if people leave? The processes break. Yeah. Unless you have enabling technology to keep those processes running. Mm -hmm. What digitization and supply chain does is, is takes your processes such as buying the buying process, which 
everyone says is, is very common. It's, it's, it's a repeatable process. I mean, people shouldn't be doing it. I'm a firm believer. Buyers, that you shouldn't be placing purchase orders. Yeah. That's something that technology can take care of. But now what the buyer is, is an analyst, a commodity analyst that uses analytics, both descriptive and predictive analytics, to determine what is going to happen in that commodity, what's going to happen in the future, and, being, and that's the transition of a skill set. When you explain that to young people, it, 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 they, they gravitate to it, saying, no, you're not going to do these, uh, these mundane, repeatable jobs. That's where technology enables the process. What you're going to do now is you're going to be analysts. You're going to analyze the crap out of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully that we get from the point of predictive analytics. I said, I said, you've got the real, you've got real, real opportunity as a young person coming in the supply chain, going in as an analyst, that being able to use the, the data that you've got. And we're now going to edge computing, which means everything is really, really coming fast. And, and, and you're going to be able to take that, and you know what? You're going to be able to prescribe solutions. You're going to be able to turn those predictive analytics into prescriptive analytics, and you're going to be a change agent for the company. Mm -hmm. well, I love that. I, I, well, I love it. I think, you know, I think the way that you're describing it right now is perhaps a way that companies can use to repackage how supply chain is viewed as a potential career opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, if you're talking about you're going to be predicting the future, you're going to be the person that delights millions of customers because you're the guy that makes sure that the product is in stock on Amazon, is in stock on the e-commerce platform that gets it to them. Within but but now, not, and not only that, but, but now you're going to be in a position that, you know, we, we, there's, there's over 220 disasters that happen every year that impacts the supply chain to a cost globally of about $285 billion in disruption due to natural disasters. Well, now, you know, I'm saying this whole area of risk mitigation, supply chain risk, yeah. isn't it? But, you know, people don't like talking about, but I say, can you imagine having an analyst, being, being, being the analyst that's using, using a technology such as ESRI uh, or, or geo, geolocating technology to help you make decisions on how to reroute freight or reroute your supply chain. Oh my goodness, and being able to look at a dashboard and being able to move it around, that's exciting, it's sexy now. Supply chain now is sexy. Yeah. And we could never say that before. So, so but here, here's the problem, it's fear. Yeah. In organizations, it's the fear of change because we're talking about this technology, digitization, blockchain, and, and, and I'm blockchain, my head is, is blowing up from, from all this blockchain. And it's, it's fear that everyone thinks their job is gonna be limited. Well, everyone thinks their jobs are gonna be limited. It's not just fear of the, 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 the jobs are gonna be changed or whatever, or, or, or eliminated completely. It's also the fact that that silver bullet thing again, that this is the answer. This is the holy grail that's gonna solve all my supply chain mm -hmm. woes. It means nothing. There is no point in implementing any of that stuff if you don't address the fundamental issues. We had a conversation last week, uh, and someone made reference to the uh, airline magazine School of Management, which is a senior member of the organization gets pitched with a technology or some magic solution, and they parachute it into the organization without working it into the culture or the change yeah. management or making sure the people are aligned to it. And 
lo and behold, it doesn't work. So this whole idea now of supply chain integrating throughout the organization with every function is, is got to be critical to success. Yeah, and, and I do I do believe that that uh, so if you from from an organizational design perspective, that that I believe in global governance, local execution. Okay. So from a supply chain standpoint, that you've got to make sure that your processes are as global as possible, but the executing of those processes need to be done by region. You know, um, shipping to Indiana in the U.S. is quite different than shipping to India. Yeah. The, the market in, in, in the U.K. is substantially different than the market in, in even France. Yeah. So, so, so the way you execute the global governance is going to differ between each, each company. That's important to understand. But a lot of people say we're going to, and this is where the caution is on this embedding supply chain in the organizations. If, if you embed the supply chain within different organizations, you still have the functional silos. And, you, and then the supply chain becomes part of that functional silo. Supply chain is the only function, the only function that has to look at the business horizontally. Okay. And so when you have to look at it horizontally, You've got to have that global governance, but you've got to allow them to execute. The customers are different in the UK than the United States. The customers are different in France, or customers are different in Italy, and customers certainly are different in Asia. So, because what you should be doing is everything, everything should be done for the customer, but the processes fundamentally don't change. It's the execution of the process that makes sense to you. Then the technology, the technology needs to enable those processes. Now, my supply chain people embedded within the different organizations, what are they? They're, they're analysts. They are now analyzing the local market, looking at the descriptive analytics, which is historical, looking at my predictive analytics, and now looking at what can I do in the future, and transmitting that electronically into a global dashboard that I can sit here as a senior leader in the C-suite and say, you know, in the UK, that, that, that here's some area of opportunity in our inefficient, in some of the inefficiencies that we can fix by doing a couple things. Here is in, in, in India where we can fix a couple, couple things. So what happens is your supply chain people become analysts to, to look at inefficiencies in the supply chain. It's the Herbie effect, if you ever read the goal, that your supply chain is only as good as the weakest link. There's always a weakest link. That's when I say, if it isn't broken, break it. Always find the weakest link. Fix the weakest link and move on. That's what supply chain skill sets are going to be in the future. Dave, a couple of things. I mean, just to, to maybe look at some practical guidelines and practical advice for some of our members. Um, what is, uh, what can they do now? I mean, you talk to, you've got the millennials right there in, in your university. You're talking to them when choosing the next supply chain job what kind of companies are they looking for uh what kind of environments should they have so in other words what can the supply chain director of today do to entice people to come to their to their businesses yeah. from a hiring perspective and then also from a retaining perspective yeah a couple of things uh first of all the 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 um uh, young folks now the undergrads um they're they'll work for any industry they'll work anywhere in the world work for any industry. That's what I love about the students today. 
I mean, they, they will go anywhere in the world. It's more of a cultural fit. And, and when I say cultural fit, is it a company that's always moving forward? And is the culture within the, is the organization one that really does have value for their people? But you know what I'm seeing coming out the most? Are they, um, do they have a sustainability policy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is there a sustainability? What we're seeing buying behaviors uh, of uh, millennials, and by the way, millennials don't like that term, but anyhow, of, of people under 35, it, it is, or in 30, 35, the, their buying behaviors, they're not as price sensitive as we think they are. But if they know that it's been made with clean resources. Oh, they'll spend without, money on that. Spend without money. Uh, without um, uh, child labor, then 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 they'll buy it. So my communication to them is saying, okay, I said, and that's my, part of my definite definition of supply chain is, is all the way the supplier supplier to the customer's customer, yeah. and everything in between. Yeah. So so. Um, so in order for companies to, to attract that, they've got to have this culture, first of all, that they're, they're going to accept change, that they're not rigid in, in like, uh, they want flexible work hours. They want, they can accomplish more in two hours than what you and I can do in, in four or five. Yeah. And that's just, that's just a matter of fact. And, 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 and because we do busy work, they, they, they just get on, get on to it. And, and, and so, so having, having an environment where they're accepted, mm -hmm. that if they want to have a mentor, that's easy to get a mentor, that, that they, there's some flexibility, you know, pay time off and, and stuff like that. Uh, they'll, they'll put the hours in, but, but, they, but having that flexibility and, and just, just the work environment, you know, is it, they work very well, by the way, in an open environment mm -hmm. yeah. where there's no offices. They're, it doesn't bother them at all. Yeah. And, 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 and so, so that, that becomes really, it's more the social atmosphere becomes. Yeah, important. yeah. For, for, for what we've heard increasingly is that they would describe that as what's the story you're telling to, yes. to people coming, potentially wanting to join your company. Don't think so much around job descriptions and tasks and outcomes. Those are all going to be there, of course, but that's not the, the way you go to market to attract young talent. You need a mission statement. You need a yeah. narrative that sits behind that. And it, it might sound slightly uh, sort of nebulous, but actually those are fundamental parts of a company anyway. Yeah. If your company doesn't have a sustainability policy, then something's probably not right there. So it, it, it can be a driver to kind of get certain yeah. aspects of the company culture. But what's even, what, what's even more important in is where can I be in two years? So what and skills company, do you get? What can, what can I acquire in those two years? What am I going to get? Because because what you're saying is that to some degree, their lifespan within a company may be short. Uh, their contribution may be great, but equally they want to take something out of that. And I think maybe that's something that employers need to look at too. Yeah. Uh, our mentality, our older mentality is to hire someone to be there with you for 10, 15 oh, years. I, I can remember, you know, probably 10 years ago, if you, if you were in a job for less than two years, it was, it was like a black mark in, yeah. on your kind of resume, right? We are seeing that uh, younger folks have very low tolerance for office politics. And, and, and so if, if the office politics gets 
severe, and every office has politics. I mean, you can't get around it. They'll leave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I, I, I've experienced it where I've had people leave leave in, in some of my organizations. They just decided, I, you know, I just don't like working here anymore. Because like, I, I talked to them, I said, no, I just don't. I said, what are you going to do? I said, well, oh, I'm going to travel. But so, so, so we've got to understand that that what motivates them is, is a little bit different. I had one one person. That, I mean, he had two kids and a wife, but just did not like the environment and quit. The other thing is that I think these companies, you know, these long-established large multinational businesses, which is what we're talking about here, that have complicated supply chains, uh, they used to be the best places to work at. Right. That, that's where you're, you aspire to. I want to work at that company yeah. or this company because they're going to give me a great career. You've got the firepower. You've got, you've got the, the exactly. I mean, you've got stability. Right. Yeah. Whereas nowadays you get these disruptive little companies that just start up or more importantly, you can start up your own company. And you've got, uh, you know, you've got people in, in the again, millennial or however you want to call them the below 35 that have their own companies where they're in control of their own mission. So these larger companies are having to compete with that. It's interesting. The data is showing that uh, size doesn't matter. Yeah. So those, comp- those companies that come out of the gate with a very good view, and it's kind of, in a lot, there's a lot of startups. There's people under 35 starting companies. Yeah. They're digitized right at the beginning. Yeah. They launch digitized. Around it, yeah. They are taking 20, 25% market share from the competition. In that product that they're coming out, so 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 we've got to understand that there are a lot. Uh, the big companies are too complex, and they're so complex it's like moving moving uh, a mountain, what you can. But but I mean, and, and so there there's there there's a philosophy out there that some of these Fortune hundred companies have got to now start. Uh, starting to go into smaller segments and start looking at themselves in smaller segments and not trying to be a behemoth in, in, in the industry. Because we're seeing that startup companies, as they come in, they're, in, they're fully digitized, which means that, they, that, yes, they've got a lot of investment in technology, but they've got robust processes, and they only need three people to run it. Yeah, we'll see. So, so they, become, they become more economical. Well, that's the other thing that you we were talking about previously in terms of the where you have employed younger people in in your groups before they've taught the older generation uh, a couple of tricks right so how to navigate certain things yep. but that's I think what they can bring to the table because there might be supply chain directors now thinking oh man do I really want to get into hiring millennials do I really want to do all this because it sounds like such a headache to have to try to do this with my business my businesses but yet here's what was what I was gonna say is if you don't bring these types of people into your business to teach you the agile way of thinking, then they will not be able to teach you the disruptive type of, you know, processes, the disruptive thinking to look at problems in a different way, which will then mean you're less likely to compete against the agile disruptive startups. Would you agree? Yeah. You said something key there, Maria is uh, uh, disruptive thinking. And we got to start with disruptive thinking. I think that's the phrase you use. And we've got to look at, you know, let's not worry about disruptive technology right now. Yes. What about our disruptive thinking? 
And, and in order to get disruptive thinking, you're going to have to have the right people in the right places. That's where you got to start before you even talk about uh, using disruptive technology. But unfortunately, we wanted, it's cool to have that technology. That's the way some companies are looking at it. You know, I've got to get into the drones. I've got to have some of this yeah. technology. Yeah. And, and their thinking is still still behind. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so you've got to have the disruptive thinking first. And, and then you've got to have people in those. You know, it, it, I'll give you another example. This whole area, the, the, another another huge shortage is, is truck drivers. Yeah. No doubt. Globally. There is a shortage of truck drivers. And, and, and I told a group one time, I said, look, for the last 10 years, I've been hearing about truck driver shortage. I said, I'm tired of hearing about it. Do something about it. But I said, now, take autonomous trucks. And you, you know, and they're not, they're driverless trucks. Mm -hmm. I said, that would be cool for someone that just came out of the Air Force, that, and he's still, still early in his 20s, yeah. that because he's now sitting in this, Thing that looks like a space mentality yeah, yeah and, and, and he can he can sit there and play on his laptop while there and then only drive it when he has to i said that's going to be appealing to some of these people why aren't we going after that and, and there i said you've got to take away some of the some of the other things like unloading loading the trucks and, and, and you know yeah. stuff like that take that away from the driver but there is a possible solution yeah. and, and where you're where you're taking the people in the technology together, you're changing the process in the sense that I'm not going to require that driver to load and unload the truck anymore. That's going to be done by the customer yeah. or by the shipper. Yeah, and now you've created, you, you've created something that is, could be cool. Yeah, we've spoken to automotive leaders who are as interested in hiring younger people with video game playing experience to work in automotive production as much as they are engineers because they understand the mentality and the interface with technology in a far more intuitive way than somebody who's built around physical engineering and parts moving and this kind of stuff. So that, that lateral thinking, yeah. that disruptive thinking. I'll give you an example of a progressive company. I'm working with a company and the company is 180 years old. Right. But they have now, um, they have gone in and they have, turn their supply chain upside down, where now they're marketing their supply chain as a profit center. Right, okay. And, 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 what, and they're partnering with us here at TCU to bring four students in every single semester to work on a lean initiative project that's going to bring value to the entire supply chain that will move over, that they can market it to the other divisions within the company and outside that here is a new new solution and and and, and what a smart idea because they're bringing bringing juniors in and running uh, running these these workshops for two or three days the students are run, running the workshops uh, on on these lean lean initiatives to really drive the inefficiencies of the supply chain and they're going to get four students every semester you know why they're using students why they're not blinded by the current processes. Okay, well, that's a really interesting point that you mentioned. One of the things our members mention all the time is, well, you know, we've got, we're big business, we've got legacy systems and, and well, processes that have been ingrained in our business for I don't know how many years. Uh, so maybe that's what's needed. You're laughing. 
But that's exactly it. Is that the, yes or no? They say they've got yeah. process. My processes, some of our processes date back. Can't I don't turn know. the tanker that fast. Yeah, we can't move track. that quickly. But that agile thinking, that disruptive thinking, uh, is what's needed. But yet, they're going to have to have a culture in their business to welcome that kind of thinking because you. Yeah, see, and I don't buy any of this. You know, we've got these legacy processes. We got these legacy systems, and you know, that's the only way that's going. It had, you know, it's been working. You know, why, why do anything with it's been working? Now, you know, I say that. I said, well then maybe we should listen to Henry Ford and says, yes, you can have any color as long as it's black. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, with that mentality. Yeah. Or, or we look at new processes and throw out the legacy processes, throw out the legacy systems. Is it painful? Absolutely. Change is very painful. It's scary. It's painful. But, if, but if, if, if we don't change, I tell folks, I tell students, I said, I said change, change is the only constant we have. The supply chain you see today is going to be 180 degrees different next year at this time. So and therefore, we, therefore, the skills that you need have to come from people that are agile enough to adapt to that kind of change. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and I, I'll suggest to you that those companies that have that attitude are going to be the winners and their results are going to be much better. Than, I, I, I'll give you an example. I talked to another company. I brought a student in because he really wanted to work for this company. And, and, and so I went with him. He's one of our master of science students in supply chain. And he said, I like the way he said, well, we don't hire university grads. You've got to start start down on the floor and work your way up. And it's going to take you three years. And, and you could see him just deflate. So when I left, I said, look, I said, this company is doing well right now because the economy is doing well. I mean, we're going to see here in the United States, four and a half percent GDP. I said, the minute the economy slows down, they're, they're going to go like this. And their competitor who, who I work with who is embracing young talent, hiring them out of university, putting them into a leadership management role. And, 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 and you know, yes, they have to work in these different functions, but they're in the leadership cycle. They're going to go like this. But when you still compare the growth of this company that, that say, no, you, you know, what you got it there and the growth of this company is still quite different. And, and, and the people we're talking to, you know, they've been with the company 30 years. It's ingrained in their mind. This is the way I did it. Exactly. That's the way everyone else has to do it. Baloney. Baloney. I mean, I mean, no, no, you've got to, you've got these, these young people, they have so much energy. You know, we, we put on here a case competition, a graduate program for MBA, MS, and supply chain. We invite the top 25 supply chain schools in the nation. We only accept 16 teams. And when you, when you see these teams come in and they get the case on a Friday morning and they've got 24 hours to come up with a solution and you see the way they, these teams of four from these different universities, the talent we have out there, Tim and Maria, are, are, is unbelievable. It's unbelievable the talent we've got. Why aren't we embracing yeah, so, so what is the impediment? What's, the, what's stopping this talent getting through to leadership positions today? People like me 
or pe people people that were in positions like mine yeah. that won't get out of the way. Okay. There are blockers. Yeah. That, 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 that don't recognize the importance of the people. That's the people that build the processes. And that technology is only there to enable it. And then and, and because, again, it goes back to what I said, supply chain leaders, some of them are put in that position because of their vast knowledge of supply chain. I, you know, I, one, of, one of the things I also did with my leadership team, and it would frustrate them, I'd rotate them, put them in an area that they knew nothing about. And, and, and they'd be very successful. And the reason why I did that is because, again, it's not, you can teach the technical. So if you're put in a position where you can't get into the weeds because you don't know the weeds, you're, you're more inclined to strategize and to, to understand that they are going to have to get it done and I'm going to just give them guidance and clear the way, clear the politics. Yeah. When you do that, then you're, you're embracing talent and you're embracing people. But unfortunately, we have a lot of leaders that are extremely knowledgeable. You know, I've worked in all parts of the supply chain too, and I know supply chain forwards and backwards and sideways, up and down. And, and, and so if I had to get in the weeds, I could, but you can't. And, 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 and because then you lose focus on building talent and your primary purpose as a leader should be building talent. Well, I think that's a, that's a good point at which maybe to, to reflect and um, draw together the conversation because I think leaders think they know what they know and that it's the right thing to do, but increasingly they need to almost unlearn some of their deep tactical knowledge or at least put it to one side and move into a more strategic Or, or place. acknowledge the changing face of the economy right now, the changing face of business, the changing pace hmm. of things. Uh, so... Dave, any parting, parting advice for the supply chain manufacturing leaders of today? The only thing, you know, focus your efforts on really building, uh, building an organization for the future. And, and, and the future could be as near as next year because supply chain is going to change. Yeah. And build an organization that's really focused on the, on the, on the right skill sets, the right people that can really build your processes for the future that can build the footprint for digital for a digital supply chain. Don't assume a footprint. Let the people build that footprint, and then go down the digital journey based upon that footprint and that blueprint for a digital transformation. Instead of just buying the technology and thinking it's going to do it for you. Well, that's a that's a fantastic message, I think, to to draw things to a close. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. I think we've had a really interesting conversation. Yes some interesting philosophical ideas, some practical ideas, some looks at the future and the present day. I think we've solved the world's problems, to be honest. <laughs> in this segment, what do you think? I think we have. Uh, or we'll come close to it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank, thank you, you very, very much, much. Dave, for this. Uh, hopefully, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll catch you very soon. Yeah, thank you. Take thank care you. now. Bye. Okay. Great. I think that was good. What